Welcome to episode 8 of For The Record, a series where I talk to musicians from Aotearoa, New Zealand about their music, what goes into making it, and an album from our library collection that's inspired them. This month I spoke to Carl Stephen about his first solo album, All Of Human Emotion on Microfiche. Kia ora Carl, thanks for joining me today. Kia ora. To give a quick introduction, listeners may know you from a number of bands such as Supergroove, The Drabdu Riffs, Heart Attack Alley and Queen Neptune. These days you're an award-winning composer of music for TV and film. And we're here to talk about your first solo album, All of Human Emotion on Microfiche, which came out just last week on Sun Return Records. And you'd mentioned this album was kind of about libraries. So I thought we'd, we'd talk about, a bit about your memories of them and how it relates to this. And I understand your mother was a librarian and you grew up spending a lot of time there. Do you have memories of the first time you saw a microfiche machine as a kid? I don't remember the first time, but all of that library technology, you know, the Dewey Decimal cards and those with those tiny little drawers and um, just all of that stuff. I mean, I when I was young, I had no sense of what was in the books. That was sort of not what was important. It was it was just the space of the library and yeah, and the sort of tools of the library and the, the silence of the library. I certainly remember, yeah, being told by my mother, you know, the she, she expressed the importance of being silent, absolutely silent in the university library. You know, these, these students were doing important studies and it was deadly serious. And so that was all very mysterious and fascinating. And I guess actual microfiche readers, it wasn't until probably I was uh, quite a lot older that I got to have my hands on that. I mean, when I went to primary school, that was kind of like the technology of the day. You had to learn how to use a microfiche uh, reader to look up your facts. And um, yeah, that was fun. I mean, I didn't care at all, again, about the facts, but um, the microfiche reader itself seemed great i loved how you know you slide a tiny amount on the actual tray of the microfiche reader and it goes zapping across you know 50 pages of um news headlines or whatever it's yeah it's it's fun and i love the the way it looks the sort of monochrome you know bluey black and white way of representing information actually one of your music videos for macoma phase one that i saw has a really cool space agey look has, I think it's just a really old Commodore computer, but it reminded me of a microfiche a bit from the cover image, that same kind of vibe. Yes, that, that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with that stuff. Um, Marcel um, from uh, Mindfulness of uh, Mindfulness for Machines did all the videos and I sort of expressed my love of a particular era of, of that sort of technology and, and the designs they had for the computer's sort of housing and yeah and I've got lots of photos of microfiche readers and stuff I don't know why there's something I mean they're like people you know what I mean like I think we create objects that are expressions of ourselves in some way and something about the, these sort of contained you know hooded computers and microfiche readers with with their screen there's something that's like looking at some sort of it's looking into a mirror in some way and with the, with the title of this being all of human emotion on microfiche, it made me think, I wonder if this album will be full of emotions and different feelings and didn't know what to expect. But even, even watching the videos as they came out, there were about four that I think you sent me that it all come out variously. We can talk a bit about, start with the music video for Utterance and Inscription, which came out in late January. And well, first off, yeah, I really like the track. I found it straight away very calming and thought-provoking. Oh, that's so, good. I, yeah, I listened to it a bunch of times and it, it got me into this really zen, deep thinking space, which after you told me what the song was about, went down this, led me down a bit of a research rabbit hole into the philosopher Wittgenstein and language games and things. But initially, awesome. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that happened. Uh, initially, it got me wondering what links there might be between your philosophy studies, because of course you ended up doing a PhD at Cambridge in philosophy between the philosophy studies and your music, if there are any. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I guess, I mean, music is a deep thing, you know what I mean? Like, and there's no limit to the amount of 
sort of thought and time uh, you can spend on music. You know what I mean? Like it can be a lifetime worth of just listening to music and making music and thinking about it. And, and yeah, it's not like it's something you exhaust, uh, you know, I was into music for a couple of weeks and, you know, I watched all the episodes and moved on, you know? Um, So, so I think, you know, philosophy as a tradition is just about, you know, thinking and talking and writing about, you know, the human experience in a way and some of our more complex and confusing and buzzy aspects of that. And one of those, of course, is language, you know, Uh, and language is like music in that particularly in spoken language, we're able to communicate thoughts using sound and in and you know so obvious like i'm doing now right and in music of course we're doing that too we're also communicating feelings and moods um as you said you know when you heard the utterance and inscription track you know uh put you in a sort of a contemplative headspace that's amazing uh to hear because i suppose that's yeah where i was going as i made it you know what i mean it's i was just sort of yeah buzzing out in that space created by the music so I think they're related in that in that way. And so I've always been interested in philosophers who talk about how we live and also who theorize about how we use language and what its effects are and, yeah, how to understand it. And when language leads us into difficulties, how to best get out of those and all that sort of thing, yeah, I think is um, – and, and so Wittgenstein is, is a, you know, a real prime suspect in, in uh that particular area of philosophy. And I'll give a bit of background in the song from what, from what you told me. So utterance and inscription features a sampled line, lifestyles in the speech from King Capisi's classic song, Screams from the Old Plantation. And all the lyrics are direct quotations from Wittgenstein's book, Philosophical Investigations. Um, and all the turntables in the song are by Shea Fu, who some listeners will know is an old friend of yours from back in the Supergroove days, of course. Yes. And then also that the song is dedicated to one of your professors, Rosalind Hursthouse, who taught you Wittgenstein at Cambridge. I wondered if you wanted to say a bit about the, the quotes from Wittgenstein's book that you used in the song. Yeah, Rosalind actually, she taught me at Auckland University. So, so um, she, she was educated at Oxford and then went on to, run I believe the Open University uh, in England and then became the head of department at Auckland uh, around the end of my time there and and mm-hmm. the Oxford College she came from Somerville College has this sort of direct link to Wittgenstein because um, one of his students Elizabeth Anscombe who then became the sort of archivist of his notes and and helped publish his works and stuff she was at uh, Somerville College, um, which was then a, a woman's only college. And then um, she taught Philippa Foote, who then taught Rosalind Hursthouse. So there's a sort of funny lineage there. But um, yeah, so uh, the Wittgenstein quotes themselves, which, yeah, as I say, Rosalind Hursthouse taught me Wittgenstein in the sense that we did a master's paper, which was just reading the philosophical investigations. And it was done in that sort of Oxford style where you just like, you just read the book together and then have to write essays each week and take turns sort of theorizing about the passages you've, you've read, which is very much a hallmark of that sort of Oxbridge style of education. And so it was a real exploration. And yeah, his ideas are things like, you know, to understand the meaning of a phrase or a term, you have to look at how it's used, which of course is, is really obvious, but it's something that a lot of philosophers had forgotten. They sort of thought that you should abstract away from you know the kind of chaos of human lives and and how people do things and and just yeah focus in some purer realm whereas Wittgenstein in that work and his later thought he he felt like to understand a phrase like make America great again you know what I mean like there's the logical meaning of that but really if I use that in a you know, context of a speech or a, a, you know, letter or something, you wouldn't really know what I was 
meaning or what it yeah what it meant without understanding the wider context of you know trumpism and america and you know uh the rise of the new right and uh all these complex issues you can't just take the literal words and and sort of abstract them so that's the sort of thing Wittgenstein was getting at and and he also thought that philosophers had a real bad habit of like getting bogged down in language like asking things like what's the meaning of life and he and Wittgenstein would say well look that sounds like a question what's the meaning of life it looks like a question grammatically but it's just a sort of a construction that we can make with language it doesn't mean that there's an answer to it just because it looks like a question doesn't mean that like oh luckily you know Gladys found out the meaning of life and now she can tell us all and we'll all know it you know it's yeah it's it's not that simple it's a trick um, of language and he saw the job of philosophy and his philosophy to some extent as being as he put it to shoo the fly out of the bottle you know we get trapped inside our linguistic constructs and they can get very confusing at times and yeah and he thought philosophy can can rescue us from some of that uttering a word is like striking a note on the keyboard of the imagination our language can be seen as an ancient city, a maze of little streets and squares, old and new houses, and houses with additions from various periods. This surrounded by a myriad of new suburbs, with straight regular streets and uniform houses. Cool. Wow. Quite a lot to think about. So if anyone hasn't heard the song already, I hope I'm not like adding too much to it. But to bring to bring it back to yeah, some of the, the quotes that stuck with me after I listened to the song a number of times was to imagine a language is to imagine a form of life. Which um kind of relates to some of the stuff when you were talking, I was thinking about of course, context is everything with how you use a phrase or a word, so language is very alive. I also like the one, the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. The first time I heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Like you said, some of it's very easy to understand. When I flicked through a bit of the book, I actually went and got the book in our basement. Oh, awesome. And just like thinking, of course, I'm not going to get all this. I just flicked through some random pages and read bits. And some of it, like you said, is like quite quite easy. And the others of it are like, well, scholarly, (laughs) scholarly, scholarly stuff. Don't try and understand all of it, but some of it's quite accessible. I was quite surprised because you know I'm not I'm not at that level of absolutely. I mean, it's the nice thing with him is that he writes aphorisms, you know, so they're short little bite-sized ideas, and that makes it nice for quotation. You know what I mean? So um, you can quote him in a song, and it's like, oh, these are little bite-sized ideas that we can think about, and but a lot of those philosophers who write in that aphoristic style like Nietzsche and stuff are a lot easier for for uh, us to understand than these ones that you know write these big lengthy tomes that you know you have to sort of get really deep deep into before you can make sense of any of it and so I mean because I, I started reading philosophy well before I went to university when I was just like on tour and bands and stuff and and I found a lot of it I just couldn't make any sense of without the help of you know a teacher but people like say Nietzsche and to a lesser extent Wittgenstein these these ones who write aphorisms uh it's it's very helpful because you can yeah they say a sentence and then you can just go away and think about that for a while and and you know sort of look at it from different sides and yeah, I, I, th- I think that's really a positive thing. It certainly helped me find a way into all that world of thought. Yeah, it's true. And to describe the look of this music video, for those who haven't seen it yet, it's like a series of these moving patterns of cubes and squares moving through an array of like changing backgrounds, different colours, and there's some squiggly shapes moving in time with your voice, and there's some bigger shapes that do the same for the turntables. It's, like, it's quite a cool visual animation of the of the mood and the feel of this track i think and uh, so most of the music videos on this album were they made by marcel belvey is that right 
that's that's right yeah he, he did all of them it's been an amazing collaboration so so we did uh this gig together called that i put on called unfencing the commons um it was a bit of a random sort of collection of thing music that i'd written with a bunch of different performers at the wine cellar and that was really fun and and he provided visual sort of accompaniment to that then that led to him doing some videos for these tracks and and so he has all sorts of interesting ways of like getting his computer to respond live to music and then combines that with other you know visual technologies and and yeah he really has a sense of that aesthetic that I like with computers and 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 what I what I do and and don't like I I really want to see the computer you know what I mean like I don't like it when the medium is invisible or pretends to be invisible I like you know an old scratchy record or a you know hissy cassette tape or you know an old statue that's the arm has fallen off and you can see the stone or whatever I don't like it when there's this pretending to be transparent thing uh, and so if a video is going to be computer made I like to really you know actually literally see the pixels <laughs> no I noticed that about all the the, vo- the four videos I looked at they've all got a really cool pixely and like bright interesting colors and lots of kind of moving moving through these colored backgrounds that's taking taking the viewer like right into that into that um, yeah brightly colored pixel zone and very yeah old school analog I could tell that you're obviously a fan of that kind of thing anyway from the kind of electronic music that it is yes and 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 the color I should say that's all Marcel you know like he brings so much to it like uh, I'm color freaks me out you know like I like grayscale everything but it's great that that um Marcel has you know this amazing sort of artistry with color and stuff and and motion um, and takes these tiny nuggets of ideas that, that I sometimes have and just, yeah, just kind of makes it into an actual whole world of uh, something kind of sumptuous, you know, that, that the uh, us as viewers can, yeah, really enjoy and get something out of, whereas my ideas, it's more like, you know, a piece of paper blowing in the wind, you know. <laughs> well, that's cool. No, it really brings them to life, yeah. I, I, want, I wondered actually if you wanted lots of colors in there if it's something you guys work together and so it's interesting to hear that you you don't think of color straight away but it does quite add something um i'd add so so much i i don't not only do i not think of it straight away i'm like actively opposed to it like i i think everything should just be grayscale black and white and then thankfully people tend to ignore me when i say that and uh you know we live in a universe full of colors and and they incorporate that into their work and then i like initially my first response is oh there's a color uh, and then i'm like oh i love that color uh and yeah gradually come to terms with it but i don't know what's up with that but um yeah well as anyone who's seen my instagram account will know i'm not the most hugely vibrant you know rainbow of colors type person visually no that's cool i, I don't think there's that much wrong with that yeah now that you mentioned it yeah you do go for the you like the black and white and monochrome in fact i'll i'll even sneak a mention of the 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 um i guess the draft version i didn't realize it was a draft version of the video for utterance inscription there were lots of black squares but it was all just monochrome which I thought was quite cool because, you know, I'm not going to judge either way. I'm just taking it in. And then when I saw the one that was released, obviously I was seeing the draft. That's cool because it was still related. It was, um, I liked them both, though, I've got to say. so. But it's, it's a very good indication that that first sort of sketch that I did that was going to be the video initially, but then Marcel, because uh, The Other's Way was cancelled, um, he suddenly had a free day. And, he's, and so he's clever enough that he can just take, you know, two hours and go whoop and create this amazing video yeah that's right I, I find the find grayscale and and monochrome quite soothing you know or sort of like it's quite a calming thing to the absence of color so so I I like that about it but obviously you know I, I love color <laughs> too uh, but like when I make something visually it tends to be in those yeah, grey and black and white tones that I do find quite calming, which is nice. No, it's it's safe. Yeah, 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 I get yeah. that. It was very, it, and it's it's just, I guess it's quite minimalist. And 
it's a lot less distracting initially. So I kind of like that the first time I was getting to know the song, it was with just the very simple grayscale thing that makes me think, oh, it's like, you know, it's pairing it back, very meditative thing, just fully focused on the song. But, and then again, in the next video, it was just totally different. But yeah, just segueing from that, I wanted to also mention briefly another song and music video for Tamaki 5000. Yes. Which is, I think, one of the first, maybe the first single I heard when you were feeding them out. And that was when I first thought, well, I had to try and have a chat with you about this because it was such a library-related album. And this, yes. and Tamaki, yeah, Tamaki 5000, I'm guessing, because you lived in Auckland for quite a while before you moved to Thames, where you have been based for a while, right? How long did you actually live in Auckland for? Well, I mean, I grew up in Auckland. Mm. Uh, and so that's what that Tamaki 5000 song is sort of about, you know? I mean, so I, I'd always lived there except for when I lived in England for three years um, when I was studying. But um, yeah, now I've lived in, in uh, Thames for 10 years, amazingly. Um, that flew by. Yeah, so I mean, Auckland, as you know, it was known <laughs> when I grew up there. And, and you know, it, it, it's a very ambiguous sort of place. You know, it's got all this colonial history of being this really like, grab the money type place uh, in many respects and you know when I was growing up in the 80s it was like a developer's paradise you know what I mean like everything was being smashed down all the old stuff and all these you know skyscrapers uh, or uh, yeah mirror glass type buildings were were being put up and and yeah we used to go as teen early teenagers down and sort of explore all these new weird construction uh, sites and areas and I mean it's totally dangerous and stupid to, to do but we didn't kind of know any better and it's they're very unusual spaces uh, that were created uh, by some of these corporations like you know Chase Corporation the, the Chase Plaza I remember exploring around there and ending up in some great place under Queen Street that had full of like what seemed to be generators or something I don't know what they were but all these weird spaces that I didn't even know existed and yeah in Auckland everyone who's lived there will know you know you go to a restaurant that's your favorite restaurant for six weeks and then it's it's closing down immediately like everything seems to be like in this constant state of being churned over and repurposed and this is demolished and now it's a urban space and now it's in a luxury apartments and now it's a street market and you know that's a really weird vibe <laughs> to, to spend your life in. And um, it was once I was living outside of uh, Tamaki and going back in uh, from the outside to do gigs and to rehearse and what have you, uh, that I saw Auckland City from the outside and seeing all the power lines leading to it and and all the kind of, yeah, trails of light from all the cars leading to it and seeing it as this kind of like big hive of, you know, human activity. And we've sort of totally terraformed the space so that it's, you know, the trees that are there are kind of like managed and, you know, it just, yeah, just so different from living kind of in the countryside, which I was doing then. And it, it, it led me to see it in a new way and, and write that song. Very much the vibe I get from it since he had been away for a while and a bit of a bit of distance really gives renewed perspective, I guess, on something you'd lived in 
yeah, it sounds like, wow, going un- under a construction site and finding some random generators, sounds like it sounds like that really matches the mood of this video. I'll, and I'll give a brief <laughs> description as well for people who uh, haven't seen it yet. I, I describe this video as plunging you into a world of a colourful Petri dish where these cells are morphing and changing while you move through it. And the close-up, a close-up of that, which reflects that you see there's a constant flow of activity of the ever-changing city. And the words of the song um, kind of come up in the midst of it, come in and out. And then the intense colours, I thought, go with the intensity the slight, and a slightly dark edge to the song. And there's some nice lyrics in there, like they're like, like uh, Auckland City, where you're lucky to find a place. And Auckland City consumes while she grows. I really like that, which pretty much describes what you talked about. And even though you're talking about growing up in the 80s, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't changed much in the construction wise and constant change. What do they say? The more things change, the more they stay the same. We're still yeah. <laughs> we're even more scaffolding in piles of rubble and trees wrapped in lights, and um, they're trying to plant more trees now here and to you know make up where there aren't enough. So at least that's one positive of the constant change. But um, yeah, that that that's right. It's like a it's like a site of struggle for something really beautiful and positive happening and something terrible and dystopian. Uh, and I feel like at certain times the terrible and dystopian has had the upper hand, uh, like in the eighties when I was uh, like I was talking about. And then yeah, it's great seeing these positive things. It's it's great seeing like I remember when we got back from England and seeing the rail system running as a, as a set of as a form of public transport i mean the rail system had been down all my life you know like it, there was the odd freight train uh you know maybe a couple of times a day or something but we would literally walk along the train tracks you know uh, and seeing yeah auckland with trains running was just fantastic and yeah trees being planted and yeah, there's there's so much positive stuff that's happened, which is is really great to see. But you know, the the battle isn't over. It's sort of Death Star versus Life Star or something. It's like I almost I have this kind of saying because I've lived here most of my life as well, apart from a brief stint living overseas. It's just like oh, Auckland, Auckland City, it'll never be finished. <laughs> it's like no, that's. That's right. And and it's fascinating, that idea of uh, cities that, you know, just constantly rewrite new history over old history. And so you get these weird kind of combinations where you turn it down a corner and it suddenly looks like nothing's changed from, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, and then, yeah, turn another corner and it's like all modern and someone's vision of what a you know corporate foyer should look like or or whatever uh and of course you know back to that utterance and inscription and Wittgenstein stuff that's something Wittgenstein said about language as well you know it's like a an ancient city and and yeah exactly the same thing happens with language we've got got new sections and old sections and real ancient weird anachronistic bits of it and and totally polished and new intentional uh, but it's yeah, I, I find that sort of really fascinating how we live immersed in history, and so the old and the new, all you know, yeah, we're 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 soaking in it. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to talk about, the uh, album you chose to talk about from the library collection, is something I asked all the artists in this series to do, pick something from our collection that inspired them in some way. And you've chosen Steve Reich's early recordings as it sort of relates to your song, A Coma Phase One, and maybe Phase Two at the end of the album as well. Can you tell me a bit about that, but also maybe a bit about Steve Reich's work for those who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so, and it relates especially too to the song The Message. So basically I was experimenting on the album with uh, phase techniques or phase music. And it's been done by various people, but probably the most 
famous one of those people as Steve Reich. And so he's a New York composer who was part of that minimalist school with people like Philip Glass, who was also, he was a buddy around, you know, New York in the seventies. I mean, I don't know what was in the water there in New York in the seventies, but you know, you've got the birth of hip hop there too, you know, and you know, a few streets away, you've got talking heads and Blondie and yeah, television and suicide and all these absolutely incredible bands making this really and Laurie Anderson, uh, bang on a can. I mean, yeah, so both in the sort of art and classical and just in, in all musical realms, there seemed to be this amazing stuff going down. And anyway, Steve Reich, his phase music is he takes, initially it was just a recorded piece of sound and you just repeat it and loop it and around, 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 around it goes, just a short section. And then if you play it alongside itself, and it gradually gets out of sync, that process of it getting out of sync creates all these new sort of interesting rhythms and crazy combinations that are ever-changing as it as it drifts further and further away from its twin. And so that led him to do try the same thing, but with live musicians. So you get two pianists, say, playing the same exact pattern, but then one of the pianists just starts speeding up a little bit and getting ahead of the other pianist until they are, you know, one beat, say, uh, away. And then you've got a totally different piece of music happening, which is the same pattern splayed out one beat apart from itself. Uh, and then they'll speed up again and move forward. So it's two beats out uh, and you get yet another combination of unexpected things. And so it's sort of courting chaos and, and using uh, unplanned sequences to generate stuff so so in the song the message what i did is i thought like i muck around with phase, phase music from time to time and so i might take a little recording like once i took the opening of sweet child of mine by guns of roses and i, and I looped that around and around and then i started phasing it with itself and i thought that'll be interesting and unfortunately it wasn't very interesting as I sort of moved this riff uh, alongside itself. I was like, oh, it was kind of boring. Um, and so I try it with other different bits of music. And so the message it started, I thought, why don't I do it with the drum fill from In the Air Tonight? The do 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 ba ba. And so I programmed that do 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 ba ba, and then started phasing with it. And then I was like, that's eh, kind of interesting, but it's still a bit boring. Why don't I put a melody on that rhythm? And so the melody, and I started phasing with that and, you know, and then it started being interesting. And then I modulated that through a bunch of different chords. And yeah, that's how I was inspired by those phase techniques to get something interesting. And, and yeah, the same thing, as you said, it happens in a coma phase too. There's a riff there that sort of you can hear moving out of time with itself. And I just find that chaos is an important part of the creative process. You know, I don't just think of everything in my mind and then just, you know, program the computer to make it do that. I very much, it's a dialogue. I'm trying things out and, uh, randomness is a real important part of the equation. Oh, right. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Preparing for this chat, I had my first listen to the Steve Wright's early recordings with it in mind, thinking, oh, yeah, this kind of relates to the some of the, you said it's some attempts at phase music on Okoma and the message. But um, because I'd never listened to the Steve Wright's early recordings before, I'm like, ah, yours is just a really nice, subtle in the background one, <laughs> diving straight into the, for the uninitiated which was me. I mean, yeah. I'd, heard, I'd heard of him, but I hadn't listened to it before. This was like fit, almost first thing in the morning, track one. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty busy. Some of it, yeah. some of it, um, you might find a bit stressy the first time. And stick with it. They're quite long tracks. But yeah, like you said, the exactly. is chaos, but it can be done really, really subtly, like in your track. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, so I'm, I guess I'm taking inspiration from art music is, is, is how you'd, you'd put, mm. put it, I, I guess. You know what I mean? Like Steve Reich, he works at universities, you know what I mean? So, so, so he gets to do whatever he likes and, um, you know, 
does interesting experiments and stuff and makes music that connects with people absolutely uh, i love his music but but it is a different sort of tradition whereas uh i'm just trying to muck around with music and and i also love you know folk music and pop songs and rap songs and uh all that other stuff so so i'm just sort of like um yeah taking a little bit of inspiration from it uh but i don't want to i don't want to emulate what what he's doing and i and i don't aspire to making kind of um intellectual music on that kind of level you know what i mean oh yeah no i totally i totally get all that because um i think when i used to choose choose something that inspired that's why i have to be quite uh, a bit vague when i ask people that i don't want to limit them to saying oh choose an album that inspired your latest thing that you wrote because yeah a lot of people that they'll be like oh yeah nothing specifically but I'll just, like, I'll just choose a favorite album actually it doesn't have to <laughs> relate because um but this one yeah I did I'd learned I learned of it just by even listening to most of it that the cool the cool things about learning about what phase music was just through through this or just through hearing someone describe it was um this is just one example of course with the Steve Wright there's some really cool satisfying parts of it once once I got into it it's very, very, it was very rhythmical, very methodical, very deliberate in this example. So it's kind of like an art experiment, even sitting there seeing how long, how long you can listen to it and get into it to the point where it was quite mesmerizing. And I was like, actually really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, the message, it, it's those two, those rhythms, the sort of drum fill rhythm, as I said, that I put onto Glockenspiel and stuff, it's it's getting gradually pushed out of phase until it comes right back into phase. And that's what determined how long the song was. It just, that, that it just took three minutes to, for it to go around the whole bar and then eventually meet up again. And, and yeah, I do, I do think that um, it's exciting, you know, to, to find music, to find in music, these sorts of weird sort of puzzles and things that, you know, that we can do. It's uh, I, you know, I'm a, definitely uh at the very least middle-aged musician you know who's been doing it for a long time and so when i was first doing music as a young person it was just like oh i like funky beats and i like you know big riffs or i like this and i like that and we'll just do that um whereas i think getting older you need to keep reimagining your connection with music and keep refreshing your ideas about it and yeah so exploring those sorts of things uh like what experimental people are doing now or in the past i find really helps with making me see music with new eyes you know and making it exciting again your um your versions of the phase music you used in your album are just real subtle and very cool and quite yeah, it's, it's art music for the people <laughs> yeah quite different to what i was um what i was new to listening to for, for things like the, the Steve Reich early recordings, because it was just a name I heard and hadn't listened to, I, I would um, scribble some notes saying, oh, yeah, it's definitely, I've, I feel like you'd, you'd be in the right mood for it. But also you have to be the kind of person who enjoys a bit of deep listening music nerdery, like you said, in, intellectual music. So the best way I would say is like, if you hadn't listened to it before, you didn't know, say so it can be quite intense, I'd say, be quite intense. And they're quite long tracks, so maybe don't listen to it all in one go. <laughs> just sit down, yeah, and get and to the I mean, where you can get into it and sit with it. Sit with and it. some of his, yeah, some of his pieces are, are, are way more accessible than others. You know, like Six Marimbas uh, or Music for Eighteen Musicians. You know, they're really like meditative, and you can vibe out, and it's really nice. Uh, whereas starting off with his, you know, those recordings of street preachers that he's doing phasing with. Um, like uh, I think it's called it'll rain or something like that um, and yeah that that's that's pretty intense stuff but and violin phase is really nice too and uh, and clapping music which is just you know and then it goes in and out of phase and stuff and then there's rhythms and yeah um, but it, that's right it takes a bit of getting used to if if one like many of us and certainly like me you know I grew up with more like pop music I, I guess you know some pretty weird pop music um you know Brian Eno and and things like that but but it was still you know this is stuff that was you know at your local record store no no I thought it was good once I warmed up to it and yeah the ones I found I guess were accessible were the piano phase track because it's just piano looping things so at least you can hook into that and clapping well the clapping music of course you'd probably 
you probably find that the easiest because that was just the the one where I thought it was very methodical and deliberate and you can really see the cogs working so you know yeah 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 so to wrap up I've just got a couple of couple of quick questions to briefly touch on the whole COVID thing (laughs) I can't I have to be honest I I have these five set questions to keep these interviews like fairly focused enough and I get to the COVID question I'm like wow do I still need to be talking about is everyone sick of talking about this so you know we can get this brief but to briefly touch on the whole COVID thing which I've been talking about since June it feels like too long have uh have the lockdowns and restrictions affected your work much or maybe even provided some unexpected silver linings? Because you probably used to work at home and work alone a lot, I'm guessing. And it's, it's... I do. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's been a tough couple of years. Absolutely. Like work is, because um, I work in the film industry, essentially, film and television. And so those are big collaborative projects that need everything to line up and everyone to be able to do their job. And so a lot of that has sort of pushed out over vast periods of time now, you know, what would in the past take six weeks. Now it's like six months and that's not an exaggeration. Like, yeah, everything's just stretched out super thin. And so it's been, you know, economically, it's been really challenging and so on, but there's been some unexpected silver linings like working with Maria Nuut, the Estonian violinist on the soundtrack to the Justice of Bunny King that literally would not have happened without the lockdown you know um, like because of the lockdown all my sessions with string players were cancelled in Auckland for the film the Justice of Bunny King uh, and I was really scrambling thinking well, what am I going to do like my timeline doesn't change when I have to deliver just because of I have these challenges. And so after initially trying a few people in Tamaki, I thought suddenly, oh, tours have been cancelled all over the world. There are violinists and musicians everywhere stuck at home. Um, And so I thought, why not, yeah, reach out to Maria, who I didn't know, but she's like, I'm just a fan of her work, you know. Uh, and I thought if we're doing these remote sessions, the, the key will be get the right person whose sort of musical voice kind of intersects with the project and with the film and with the characters and stuff. And so, yeah, her stuff I thought was really perfect because she has both a classical background and a folk background, but she's also an experimental electronic musician and she also studied. Indian classical music theory in India and uh, like she's super I guess has a real philosophical approach and so yeah she watched the film and and she yeah liked it and and wanted to work on it and so I sent her pieces and and then she you know would add some stuff and I sent her sheet music and and so on and so that was totally a COVID collaboration um, and that was really amazing uh, to get to yeah sort of work with her and and do that yeah. So, so aside from that, it's been mainly bad, but you know, I mean, we've been very lucky here. And so, you know, I've been able to do recording sessions in like Rotorua and stuff when Auckland was in lockdown and, and that was really cool too, like working with musicians down there and performers down there. And it's quite likely that we just would have gone up to Tamaki uh, for that recording session, you know, had everything been a non COVID world. So um yeah, I guess there have been a few unexpected um, benefits. Yeah, that's so true. I think it sounds like it's much for you and uh, other people doing this kind of work, uh, anything where you want to collaborate, really. It, yeah, it definitely makes everything take way too long and shuts down some planned op- opportunities that you had, but then opens up others. And that's the, the bit that I hadn't been expecting, but I, ke- I keep hearing about it from other people and seeing it in my own work. It's like, oh, yeah things that you were so used to doing one way it forces you to think outside the box and sometimes that's like a bonus of like you said I think I heard you say in another interview that you never in a million years would have contacted that that violinist overseas because it was um like you said I was just a fan <laughs> like someone that you well, probably wouldn't yeah. have dreamed of reaching out to and saying oh do you want to actually do a bit for this film I'm working on but because that was that became the most viable option or a really suitable option to you once you realized then yeah, that kind of just ends up happening and came together. <laughs> so 
Yeah. yeah. And when you're desperate like that and those sorts of, you know, there's time crunches and stuff. Yeah. I mean, then suddenly that gives you a bit of bravery. You know what I mean? Like then I can Google her manager and like write some email to a manager in Berlin somewhere and say, I'm doing this uh, because you're just so desperate. You know, <laughs> it's like I need to get some violin on this thing. Yeah, so that's right. It's, uh, it forces you to find new ways, and that can be a yeah a positive voyage of discovery. Yeah, no, that, that that's a cool way of looking at it, especially given it's probably going to be, unfortunately, a thing that we'll still be still having our lives for some time. Yeah, yeah that's that's like right. Like, but I guess day. I guess learning to work remotely. You know, I, I've been as I said living in Thames for ten years, and so you know. Not that many filmmakers live here, although some do. Uh, but so often I'm working with people who are based elsewhere. Uh, and so I've been working sort of remotely, you know, online for a long time. And that, and another good thing that's come of it is that the technology for working remotely online has just sort of upped its game enormously in the past couple of years because of COVID. And so now it doesn't seem that strange uh, in the past, yeah, having a meeting you know uh via zoom or whatever seemed like who is this eccentric you know uh crackpot <laughs> you know uh whereas now it's just like everyone's doing it you know way too much of the day <laughs> i'll have to get used to the possibility when i can finally get back to doing the actual face-to-face interview i don't know when that is though so i'm probably going to forget about it on the time but it's great that's for right some of these like people like you who aren't based in auckland it, it opens up the horizons of it so that's good Okay, and the, and the last question I had to wrap up was, do you have more plans to keep making music um, for solo projects and maybe even maybe even planning some gigs once we're able to, if, if that's the kind of thing you'd be doing with this, with this album? Yeah, de- definitely to both uh, the answer is yes. Really keen to do some performances with this album all of human emotion on microfiche uh, and do some unusual collaborations in the context of performing it so like you know i don't know maybe have a cellist or yeah some different live percussion tuned percussion players and and like be cool to get some of that phasing stuff that i talked about with the glockenspiel and in, in the message getting a couple of people doing that live so that people can see that visually you know would be really fun i think both for us as musicians and also it would really give something new to the audience so definitely keen to do that after you know once covid settles down because i play live so seldom that i'm not gutsy enough to leap into the thick of you know all the maelstrom of cancellations and things i'll just like that's okay. I haven't played for months or years, so I'll just I'll just bide my time and see what happens. And but then also, yeah, definitely more of my own studio work. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I wonder what it'll be, but I certainly have experiments that I want to do, and and I'd like to get more actual live players on, on the next record I do, so it's not just uh, me and the synths uh, and gear. It's yeah, me and other humans working on some stuff. I, you know, it's it's very much more difficult logistically as soon as you get other people involved and acoustic instruments that you need a silent space to record them and all the rest of it. But I think it's so rewarding and sounds so interesting as soon as you get those. People bring so much uh, with their instruments to, to something that I would love to be able to get into that for another set of recordings. There is some talk of just sort of organizing some possible remixes slash reworks of of these pieces on this album with some really great artists. And so that's the sort of thing that it would be wonderful to bring that into the world with some sort of gig as well. You know what I mean? Just because you've got all these people collaborating on something that never meet in the same room unless you do something like a, a live show. So that is kind of like, an appropriate party for something like that um, when when the party future returns to us oh that's so true at live shows i've been to a few smallish ones not that many this year compared to what i normally do and like yeah the, the whole live show thing and getting people in a room 
is is such a precious thing now. So you know, <laughs> we look forward to that. Yeah, it'll Absolutely. be really exciting once it can happen. So yeah, look forward to it. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining me today, Carl. It was really, really interesting chat. I feel like I learned a lot. And um, all the best and hope to hear more from you soon. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks very much for having me at the library. It's cool to uh, be involved with anything that libraries do. You've been listening to an interview with Carl Stephen. All tracks used in this podcast were taken from his album, All of Human Emotion on Microfiche. You also heard an excerpt from his chosen album, Steve Reich's Early Works. To hear more podcasts, check out the Auckland Library SoundCloud page and subscribe. Thank you.